save me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Lately, that uh, getting into those last songs, I'm used to putting my mic on during that song, but that was a good one. I like it. And it's really kind of interesting today, too. I want you to realize this. It's interesting that uh, that song goes, I mean, right with the message. I can't even believe it. I was up here like, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, you talk about somebody orchestrating some things. I believe God's behind the scenes doing some orchestrating right now. And boy, that was good. That was excellent. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Revelation chapter 21, and you're going to see why. Boy, this fits perfect. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 through verse 8. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8 today, and we're going to take a few minutes and do kind of an overview of uh, God's calendar and, um, and then we'll, we'll put this passage where it belongs in that calendar and then we'll be able to move forward. But Revelation 21 verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be, excuse me, God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now today I want to take some time and first of all point out, I mean, verse chapter 21 verse 4 is really our text verse today. What a powerful passage it is too. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
When I think about that particular passage, I can't help but get excited. My, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? But it's also a truth. And so not only do we have the, uh, uh, I guess, the luxury of thinking about something that wonderful, but we can be sure it's going to happen. Where does it happen? When does it happen? Well, that's important to understand, and we have to keep things in context, don't we? And so I want to take just a few moments, if we're able to do so. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to put the slide up or not. We've been having some technical difficulties, and of course, it's wonderful that... Oh, okay, just go ahead and hit it all. Oh, yeah, man, that would have been cool if I could have uh, done that. Uh, Yeah, but that's fine, too. I didn't even realize the one I gave you was that, because I had... uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. I saved it as a picture, so he must have had to find it somewhere else. But anyway, big events on God's calendar. Let's just go through real quickly uh, where we're at right now and then kind of track it all the way through till we get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And then we'll make a few applications. First of all, we're in what's called the church age or the dispensation of grace. And that's a time when people can come to the Lord Jesus Christ simply by faith in him. What a wonderful thing it is to just recognize yourself, the sinner that you are, and look up to a holy, righteous God and say, I know I can't make it on my own, but thank you for sending Jesus to die on Calvary, to be buried and rise again the third day. I'm so thankful that he shed his precious blood, his perfect blood, and he became the perfect lamb of God, the the only acceptable sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice. And so we have this dispensation of grace or this time of of, of the church age we often refer to it as. Where people are coming to Jesus Christ by faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we have this time period in which we now live, you and I. But there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds. You'll see it there as it's kind of a U there with an arrow pointing up. He's not going to make it all the way down to the earth. He's only coming in the clouds. And the Bible tells us over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and over in the book of Revelation chapter 4, we see evidence of it there. We recognize the fact that Jesus is going to come in those clouds and he's going to take us out of here. He's going to just remove the church, if you will, remove those that are part of the body of Jesus Christ. He's going to take you and I out that have placed our personal faith and trust in him. And so we have this church age in which we now live, but there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to take us out of here. Sometimes we like to refer to that as uh, John chapter 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again unto you that I may, ultimately that where I am there you may be also. But the truth is, is that we see more evidence of that over in chapter 21 than we really do even here at the rapture, chapter 19. So we got here, we've got the church age. And now the church is being raptured out, chapter 4 of Revelation. And then all of a sudden we have what's called the tribulation period. That's a seven-year period that lasts, basically is divided into two three-and-a-half-year periods. The first three-and-a-half years is called tribulation. The last three-and-a-half is called great tribulation. And so what we're going to see here is over those seven years, God is going to bring judgment upon those who had persecuted and ultimately killed even his prophets. He's also going to be judging his people Israel during that time period. God is not done with Israel yet. God still has a work to do in Israel. And one day, he's going to then return, take us out, and then begin judgment for seven years here on earth. Let me tell you, you don't want to be here for that seven years. It's going to be a horrible time. 
And so we have the church age. We have the rapture of the church. We then have the seven-year tribulation that kicks off and goes for, uh, again, seven years. And at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back in chapter 19 of Revelation. And when he returns, he's bringing you and I with him. They have pictures of him on a white horse, but also me too. Boy, I'm following him. I'm coming right on down with him. And then at that point, the Lord's going to go ahead and there's going to be a big battle ensue. We often talk about it as the battle of Armageddon. You know, when everything blows up in the Middle East, we're real quick to say things like, oh no, is this Armageddon? Of course it's not Armageddon. Are you here? It's not Armageddon yet because you're here. You're going to be church age now, rapture of the church, tribulation period, seven years, then the return of Christ and that big battle that takes place. Let me go back just a step or two. We're back in the tribulation now. While the tribulation is taking place on earth, the indication is that we have 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we have the judgment seat of Christ taking place in heaven. That's why you and I can come back in robes of white, because now we've left the church age, been raptured up, and are now standing before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. And when we return at the end of the tribulation period, we are with him in our robes. So here we are now at the end of the tribulation, this big battle ensues. Guess who comes out on top? Of course, God does, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says that he's going to establish himself on the throne of David. He's going to literally rule and reign in Jerusalem. He's going to sit on that throne and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. What that literally means is that, by the way, you won't need faith in that day because you'll have Jesus there. But the problem is that period of time is called the millennium now. He establishes himself in Jerusalem. He rules and reigns there. We'll rule and reign with him according to First Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. And now here we go now, ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. The devil has been locked up. The devil's been chained and barred. And he is no longer influencing those that are on the earth for that thousand years. And mankind will begin to, 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 once again, after all the decimation and all the horrible things that will take place, the destruction and the tribulation, mankind will be built back up again under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, at the end of a thousand years, guess who gets let loose? The devil does. He's loosed again after that millennial period. And what he does is goes around and he tries to trick people again and he tries to deceive people again and he gets them to say, listen, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I don't want to do that any longer. And what he's really doing, what God's allowing to happen is he's going to determine who really had faith or who really believed and who really followed for the right reasons and who was just following because they were afraid of the rod. Let me tell you something. God does care how we feel and how we think. Our motivation is important to God. And at the end of that thousand years, he's going to find out who was sincerely followers of him versus simply just doing it out of feigned faith. And so now the devil goes and deceives and a big battle ensues again. It's the battle of Gog and Magog often referred to in the Bible. And what we'd find is that once again, who wins? God does. And then at the end of that millennial period, Then we have 
the great white throne judgment. We read about the great white throne judgment in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 of Revelation. And following that great white throne judgment, we land in chapter 21 where we are today, where we read. So it begins way back here where you and I are today. The church age, the dispensation of grace, the rapture of the church, the church being caught up, taken out. Seven years of tribulation beginning. While on earth, God's judgment is being poured out. In heaven, there's the judgment seat of Christ. The seven years ends, Jesus returns with his saints, you and I. A battle ensues, but he simply speaks and it's over. For 1,000 years, he rules and reigns on the throne of David. And we rule with him. The devil's locked up and God is on the throne. And at the end of 1,000 years, though... The devil's released again, going about to deceive the nations. A big battle once again ensues. And of course, God wins. At that point, we have the great white throne judgment. And then, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I want to focus on verse 4 today. The Bible says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Boy, in this passage, we note a couple of things. And then I'm going to make a couple of assessments here as well. I'm going to talk to you a little bit today, and we're not going to be very long, but let's have a quick word of prayer, and let me, then let me get into it, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your truth. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful to you today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with every believer today, that, Lord, our hearts would be stirred from your me- the message, that our hearts would be encouraged to think and to be reminded of what is and will be. And, Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ, may they understand the end or the demise of their life and their future. Lord, may they recognize the need to turn to Jesus because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And we'll thank you for that. Now bless us in these next moments. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we find a couple of things, first of all, in the passage that I, I, I really appreciate. Number one, we see an act of compassion here, don't we? I mean, look at what he says. He says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, the Bible teaches that you and I ought to to laugh with one another. We ought to cry with one another. The truth is, is that compassion is something that lacks in America. It lacks in our world. It lacks in the church, even. People rarely have compassion on others. Oh, they may have compassion on a husband or a wife. They may have compassion on a son or a daughter. They may have compassion on a grandchild. But when it comes to other people that aren't really that close to them or that important to them, then compassion is something that often lacks. We drive through this world and, and we walk through this world and we fly through this world even if you take a plane and you see people all around you and if you're not careful, you lack compassion for those people. Rarely do we think, where will they spend eternity? Rarely do we think, what kind of circumstance are they going through now? Rarely do we consider, are their hearts breaking even at this moment? Although they have a smile on their face, is there a hurt in their hearts? And so often there's so little compassion. We go to the restaurant and our waiter or waitress comes to the table and seems a little bit perturbed. And we're all like, hey, don't you realize I pay good money to come here. And if you want a tip, you'll act better. 
not realizing they may have lost a mom or a dad the night before or the, that week or possibly a spouse or maybe one of their children is desperately ill. or Maybe they recently got news that potentially they have a terminal disease. We're not sure what the circumstances are, but we like to really quickly judge why they're doing what they're doing and we certainly won't be effaced and we will not allow somebody to treat us the way they're treating us because we lack compassion. But thank God in this passage, we see a God who is compassionate. We see a God who's genuinely concerned. We see a God who's wiping away our tears. I love the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad he's compassionate? He's a man of passion, yes, but he's so compassionate. But not only do we see the act of, an act of compassion, we see an act of consideration again. He goes on here. I mean, it's not just that he wipes the tears away, but notice, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Well, that's considerate, isn't it? I mean, I, it's one thing. I'm glad that you're compassionate, and I'm glad you wiped my tears away, and I'm glad that you're concerned in that regard. But I certainly like it even better when you can step to the front of the line and say, I'll not only wipe your tears away, but I'm going to go also take away your hurts. I'm going to take away the source of it. Well, I'll tell you what, this is a God that's considerate. We serve a God who not only loves us in that sense and is compassionate toward us, but he is considerate toward us. He says, listen, there'll be no more death one day. There'll be no more sorrow, no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. You say, but I don't feel it now. And I'm still in the midst of a hurt. I'm in the midst of a heartache. And I'm telling you, my body's riddled with pain. Let me tell you something. One day, one day, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying and no sorrow and no more death. You know why? We see the act of compassion, an act of consideration, but it's an act of completion. He says, the former things are passed away. All that back there, gone. Done with. Everything back there, over. I don't know about you, but I like that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If we're not careful... At certain points in our life, we get so attached to this world that this is so wonderful. We don't want to leave it. We don't want to have anything to do with the next one. We don't want nothing to do even with the God that created us. And all we see is the now. And all we see is the here. And all that matters to us is the immediate. But the very moment our bodies are riddled with pain, the very moment we start to experience great hurt and heartache in our lives, the very moment that life itself really weighs heavy on our shoulders, all of a sudden we go, Oh God, oh God, have compassion on me. Oh God, consider me. And then we say, Oh God, thank thank you, thank you, thank you, that it'll be complete and over with one day. Former things are passed away. So what are some of the former things? Just talk about three of them. I mean, we know, obviously, there's no more death, there's no sorrow, there's no crying, neither shall there be any more pain. So there's a lot of things that we could list. But I'm just going to share a couple of things that are pretty simple and pretty basic and so important today, especially if you don't know Christ today. Listen to some of the things that are over with. And as a believer, let me tell you, you're going to like the first one right off the bat. 
former things. Number one, the curse upon every, crea- every, every creation and every creature. The, 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 the curse upon creation and every creature. That's going to be gone, done away with. That's a former thing. Again, you're saying, well, what do you mean? Well, it all began in a garden. At least for us, in that sense. This curse, if you will. For us, it began in a garden. And we think of a garden as a place of relaxation and reflection, don't we? I mean, you go to a garden to, you know, my, my wife would love to have a garden party. I remember one time we went to a, uh, to a tea room. You know, a place where you drink it like this. And I don't do a lot of tea rooms, to be honest with you. I'm more of like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, pumping iron. That's me, you know. But so I decide I'm going to go with her because, you know, we're going to make a, a couple of days out of it. We're going to spend the night somewhere. We're going to go to this tea room. When we got there, and it was so disappointing. You want to know why she was disappointed? Because they had a garden out back that wasn't opened yet. So we had to go inside. Although it was beautiful, it was a nice setting. Don't misunderstand me. It was extremely uh, classy. But boy, I tell you, my wife wanted to be able to sit outside in the garden and just... (sighs) Soak up all the smells and all... They're good at gardens. And all the food and all the things that go with it. A garden. You don't think about a garden, but a place of relaxation, reflection. A place where the cares of life dissipate and disappear. A garden's kind of a funny place for the greatest downfall recorded in history to have taken place, though. However, no matter how beautiful, no matter how peaceful, no matter how serene a place may appear, the truth is is that Satan can turn it upside down in a moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Turn there, would you please? A familiar passage, maybe, but an important passage. We're trying to establish this idea that you have to realize that the former things are passed away in chapter 21, verse 4. What are some of the former things? Well, one is the curse upon creation and every creature. You have to understand there's a curse as a result of what we're going to see here in chapter 5, verse 12. The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, I'm not going to take a long time to deal with this, but I think it's interesting to note that it says, as, as, as by one man sin entered into the world. We'd all say, well, who was that man? We'd say, Adam, of course. And you'd be correct. But notice again that it says, as by one man sin entered into the world, up to that point. In this world that we now live in, there was, it it had entered when he sinned then. It wasn't there before. But notice something else that's now there that wasn't there. He goes on to say, and death by sin. So what we find then is that there in that garden, there was no death, right? The truth is that if Adam and Eve would never have sinned, they would have never died. Because sin, uh, death is the result or the, the consequence of sin. Now, that's an interesting and a very important fact. Because until there was sin in the world, there was no death in the world. So what does that mean? For some of you that have a lot of questions about certain things, let me, fit, let me try to help you with one. That means that dinosaurs did not live before Adam. Because there was no death on this earth. 
I just thought I'd throw that out. I, I told you, I'm not going to develop it. I'm not going to talk about it much. But think about the order of things. We have what we have uh, in the Word of God stating that as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Therefore, sin was a result of the sin. Uh, uh, death was the result of the sin of Adam. And that sin brought death. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So not only, though, did the fall affect the creature. Because we all became sinners because of the sin of Adam, the Bible teaches. We are defective because of the sin of Adam. We're all, uh, we're all ruined, if you will, spiritually speaking. We're dead in our trespasses and sins because of Adam. We are not complete as God intended us to be. Tripartite, body, soul, spirit, functioning the way he intended it to function. No, the spirit in man is dead according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So we're functioning on two or three cylinders until we come to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you don't have a spirit that can communicate with the spirit world. What I'm saying is that your spirit does not communicate with God till you are whole. And only the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in your life can make you whole. So not only did that fall affect the creature, but it affected the creation. Turn if you would to Romans chapter 8. See, it's not just you and I as creatures that are affected, but also the very creation itself, the world in which we live. Notice he says in Romans 8, 22, for we know, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Do you see that? But I tell you what, have you ever heard a storm? You ever heard lightning? You ever hear the wind whipping and howling through the trees? I'll tell you what, anything that's destructive in our world today is a result of that curse. God never intended that there be things that damage and hurt people. People are like, why does God let that happen? God may allow it, but God never intended it to be. It's because of sin, and there is a curse, not just on mankind. There is a curse on the actual physical earth. And the Bible tells us that that physical earth, it says this earth right here, literally groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The creature and the creation both. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even our, our, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. And he says the former things are passed away. He said that curse uh, on creation, that curse on the creature will be gone. It'll be eradicated, it'll be over with, it'll be finished. Revelation 21, turn there again, would you please? Back to our text verses, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. He says, and I saw a what? A new heaven and a new earth. See, the whole creation is groaning right now. And God says, I'm just going to make it all new. I'm going to make it all new. I mean, the former things will be passed away. So there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He says, for I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away. That kind of connects it to verse 4, doesn't it? 
And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First of all, what are some of the former things? One, the curse upon every, the curse upon creation and the curse on every creature. It's gone. Former things. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good. I'm pretty excited about that. I won't have to worry about no tsunamis or hurricanes or tornadoes or any of that stuff. Not to worry about natural disasters. Praise God for that. And then only in us ourselves, we won't have to be dragging around this old wicked sinful flesh. So we see the curse upon creation and every creature. Number two, what else is a former thing? Well, in that day, sin. Sin. The Bible teaches us that sin wreaked havoc on us. We noted that already, right? It brought death, according to Romans 6.23 even. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Look, if you would, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. Let me tell you, there's some former things, and, and one of those former things is going to be the sin, that sin which does so easily beset us, that sin that causes us all kind of heartache and wreck and ruin, that kind of sin that destroys and ruins our families and our relationships. That sin that ultimately brings physical deterioration to a body that ultimately ends in a grave. Leads to a grave. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. Apostle Paul again speaking to the church at Corinth and he says, chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, 2 Corinthians. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We had. Notice that's past tense. You want to know why? Because he put his personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he said, so did you. I'm speaking to you. And he's saying to you, the church. He says, the church is comprised of a, a, a body of believers. People can't be admitted into the, 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 the church as members of the church if they haven't put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so as he's writing now, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's going to assume that they're saved. If you're in, then I'm going to trust your, 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 your testimony that you trusted Christ. And, and so he's saying to them, we had our sentence of death in ourselves, me, those that are working with me, and the truth is, every believer, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Hold on. Who delivered us from so great a death. There it is. What death was that? A spiritual death as a result of sin in our lives. As a result of the sin of Adam. And and doth deliver. We see Romans chapter 6 now coming to the forefront. We see that we're raised to walk in newness of life. That no longer does the flesh have to have control over us. No longer do we have to be ruled by our, our senses. No longer do we have to be ruled by our passions. We're ruled by the leadership of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And so he says to them, he says, who delivered us from so great a death, the penalty of sin, and doth deliver from the power of sin, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You know what he's talking about? The very presence of sin. One day there'll be no sin. The very presence of sin will be gone. That which has held us captive, that which binds us, that which ultimately buries us, will be gone. It'll be a former thing. Former things, the curse upon creation and every creature, sin itself. 
And then finally tonight, let me say this. Sinners. Former things, sinners. See, if there's a sinner, then there's sin. And if there's sin, there's a curse. Look in Revelation 21, verse 8. As we look at that city, New Jerusalem... Anything good about you and me is all God. Over in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, we see that he that is born of God doth not commit sin, it says. He doth not commit sin. You say, how's that possible? Because when he's talking about that, he's talking about that new man that's in you. You won't have that old body that's sinful now. It'll only be the new man. Notice what happens here. You'll have a new body, by the way, but it won't be a sinful body or one that was tainted by sin. Why? Because the curse of sin will be lifted. Watch now, sinners. Revelation 21.8. Notice this city, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice again, this is a sobering passage indeed. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now again, it's important to understand that the sinner is associated with the sin. See, a, a, a sinner, someone that is lost, that lies, is a liar. That's what, it's important to understand this. While, on the other hand, those that are forgiven are disassociated with it. You say, well, that's crazy. I know, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. If you've never put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've ever lied, that makes you a liar in God's book. That means you'll never, ever, 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 ever be in heaven because liars have no part there. You say, but I've lied and I'm saved. Hold on, we'll see what happened to you. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, know ye not... Again, it's going to sound almost like he's repeating Revelation. But know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this next phrase, so powerful. And such were some of you. Now hold on. Let me ask you a question. Since you've been saved, have you ever sinned? Have you ever transgressed God's law since you've been saved? Of course. Why does he have 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in the Bible? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would he tell us that and give us that verse if he didn't believe that at times we may need it? 
Hold on. The difference is this, though. You are no longer a sinner in the sense that you are associated with the sin because you've been disassociated with it because of Christ and that shed blood. And the fact is, is that such were some of you. You used to be liars. You used to be adulterers. You used to be effeminate. You used to be this and you used to be that. But you're not that anymore in Christ. And you say, but we may still do some of those things, but you're not associated with it like it is in the Bible. Listen, no liar has a part in that place. Before you get saved, though, my friend, let me tell you, you aren't just sinning, you are the sinner. And you're described as the sinner. A liar. That's a bad thing. And you need to get it settled. You need to deal with that sin. And you deal with that sin by coming to Christ, receiving the Lord Jesus. And then he can say to you, like he said to the church at Corinth, such were some of you. That's not who you are now. See, when we consider the former things, we can't help but look at this curse on creation and on every creature. But it's in the past. It'll be former then. It'll be before that. Back over here, uh, when we get over to Revelation 21.4, and he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more death nor sorrow, neither shall there be any more crying and all of those things. He says, listen, I'm telling you, all those other things are past. They're in the past. They're not going to affect your today. They're not going to affect your future. And one of the things that won't affect your present and won't affect your future is simply the curse. And by the way, there'll be no more sin And there'll be no more sinners. Those are all former things. And they're all passed away at that point. We got a tremendous future to look forward to as believers today. I don't know about you, but I know I'm certainly looking forward not to having any pain and sorrow, no more tears, and boy, no more death that brings separation from loved ones, family, and friends. Our faith in the Savior and His precious blood have qualified us for a great honor. We don't deserve it, but He gave it to us anyway. 2 Corinthians 6.2 today, if you're lost without Christ, let me tell you, it says, For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't decide, well, I'll deal with that later. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus Christ returns today and you go into that seven-year tribulation period, I don't know. I don't care what books you've read and it doesn't matter what movies you've saw. I'm going to tell you, if you understood and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to your heart about settling your salvation, you were convicted about it and the need for Christ and you chose to reject it, you didn't love the truth, you're not going to get another chance. You're going to believe the lie of Satan. You'll believe it. I don't care what the Left Behind series says. You're going to believe the lie. You better settle it now because today is the day of salvation. Not in the tribulation period. Today, he says. Not in the future, but today, he says. 
You settle your soul's salvation today. You make sure Christ is your Savior today. You make sure your sin is forgiven today. You make sure you're disassociated with, from the sinner and you are now a saint of God. You don't deserve to be disassociated. You don't deserve to be in heaven like I don't. He is righteous and holy and he deserves to be bowed down to and honored and, 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 and glorified. You and I deserve hell, but he is so gracious to us and compassionate to us and loving toward us that he'll give us every good thing. If we simply ask Him to come into our life, be our Savior and Lord. What will you do with Jesus today? Will you trust Him? Will you receive Him? Will you accept Him? I trust you will if you haven't already. And if you're a child of God, maybe you need to come and just let the Lord know, I appreciate what you've done for me and I've not allowed myself, I've I've permitted myself to maybe even forget how good I've got it as a believer. I've taken you for granted a little bit, God. I've forgotten how good you've been and how good you will be. And I just want you to know that I'm still, I'm still your child. And I, I, I want to be better for you. And I want to read more. And I want to study more. And I want to know you more. And I, I realize that I have a bright future ahead. And if I'm going through a difficult time, help me to just to trust you like never before. Because, Lord, you've never let me down. And you won't. And one day, you'll all be former things. None of this will even matter then. Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, that you'd help us today as believers and those, Lord, that maybe don't know you today as Savior. We're asking you, Lord, just to do a perfect work in our hearts and our lives. Now be glorified, Father. We need you. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. And Lord, today there may be someone in the crowd that doesn't know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. Oh, Lord, what a terrible thing that would be. May they just simply settle it. Simply say, I don't want to guess and I don't want to question. I don't want to doubt. I just want to know. And you said, Father, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. May they just simply believe on you, trust you, and receive you today without reservation. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed today. The music playing, won't you come? If I just said to you today, do you know for sure, without a doubt, you're on your way to heaven? Could you raise your hand? Could you simply say, yes, indeed, I know. I know he's real and I know he saved me. On the other hand, maybe there are doubts in your heart today. You don't know for sure. Or you've never, ever taken the time to invite Christ into your life as Savior. Oh, you know about him. You believe that he's even real and that he existed, that he died, was buried and rose again, but you've never taken the time to truly realize that he alone can save you. It's not going to be your church attendance or your Bible reading or prayer, although those are good things. They're not the needed thing. He is. It's the person, Jesus Christ, that you need and only him. The rest of that falls into place as we exercise his word, as we allow him to have rulership in our lives and on the throne of our lives. You're here today. You don't know for sure. You're here today. You're lost. You're here today. And if the rapture took place, you'd still be left behind. Don't, don't delay. Today's the day of salvation. Don't hope you have another opportunity. Just simply settle it while you do. Come on, won't you come? Come down the aisle and see one of these men at the front and just let them know. And if you're a lady, we'll have a lady take the Bible and show you some things. If you're a guy, we'll have a, a guy show you. Just open the Bible up. 
At this point, you say it's kind of late in the altar call. Well, that's all right. We'll maybe slip around the corner and you can talk in that corner over there a little bit, a little bit more secluded so you can ask the questions you need to ask. You can take some time maybe. It's okay. That's fine. You don't have to be at these steps, which we call an altar. You could be around the corner. You could be in a room in the church. You could even be at home because Jesus is listening. Brother Jake, would you come close in a word of prayer, please, today? And again, we are so glad you could be a part of the service this morning. And if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. Do the best we can. And again, I just want to encourage you. I want to ask all of you just to be praying for the folks of our church here, Community Baptist. There's a number of folks that are really struggling and uh, with health issues and things. And uh, just um, if they're not struggling with the health issues, they're dealing with all of the things that go with it especially the spouses of those folks and things. I just, again, if you need a prayer list, I think there's probably a few extras down there. By all means, grab them. And I don't usually talk about things like this on a Sunday morning, but I do want you to be praying. I just feel like uh, the devil's really fighting some of our folks, you know. And uh, I don't know, but I can't, I can't explain this 100%, <clears throat> but it really weighs on me. I've, I've been struggling uh, this last week or two, a couple weeks, uh, just with all the hurt that I'm seeing. And... I, I, I have a little harder time with it now, I think, the older I get. I think it's because I realize how much closer I am to it, potentially. Uh, but just pray for me, would you? I'd appreciate that. And pray for those that are hurting. And I know you don't know all the details, but God knows the names, okay? Even if you don't, and uh, I'd appreciate that. All right, well, Brother Jake. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for the time, Lord, that you have given us to just... Uh, Gather in your house today, Lord, and worship you, Lord. I just uh, pray, Lord, that uh, if there are any unsaved here today, Lord, they just uh, get that settled before they leave this uh, building, Lord. We just uh, ask, Lord, that you uh, keep all of our uh, teens safe, Lord, that are going to man camp, Lord, that just enjoy themselves, Lord, and uh, learn more with, uh, about you, Lord. We just uh, ask, Lord, that you keep us safe, Lord, and bring us uh, safe back here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>